Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Almost Famous. In the first series of the podcast, I spoke to guests who also grew up with famous family members and discussed how it affected their journeys through life. In series two, I want to explore the subject of fame more directly by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and asking them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is actor and comedian James Redmond. James first rose to fame as a model in the early 90s and soon made the move into television playing Rory Finnegan, better known as Finn, in Hollyoaks on Channel 4. In 2002, James made the move into presenting on ITV weekend morning shows SMTV Live and CD UK before returning to acting with stints in Sky One's Mile High, Casualty and Doctors on the BBC and Emmerdale and Coronation Street for ITV. James is also a stand-up comedian and has performed on stage all over the country, but of course his most exciting appearance anywhere comes today as he joins us on the almost famous sofa. Hello, James. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, mate. How are you? I'm really, really well. We've gigged together we have. for years. I haven't seen you for a while, but gigged no, together true. for years. It's amazing, but I'm really excited to talk to you. But before I do, I have to big up where we record this podcast. It's a really amazing place called the Podcast Lounge at Factory Studios in central London. Definitely get in touch with them if you've got any podcast ideas that you want to make. They're really, really good. Their website is factory.uk.com. Check them out. Isn't it a lovely room, James? It's great, isn't it? Beautiful building. So it's lovely to see you. What did you think of your intro? I always like to ask my guests. I thought it was uh, it was very kind, wasn't it? Um, the modelling <laughs> It was just real, wasn't it? It was real. The modelling bits were always a bit cringy because people have sort of preconceptions about male models, you know. Mm. Um, well, what was what was modelling like? How did you get great. into it? What, it was so what? easy. I mean, it, it was a long time ago. You know, mm-hmm. I was 21. So, you know, that's like five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 25. Um, Don't check Wikipedia anymore. More than that, 27 years ago. But um, yeah, it was great. I mean, it's very different for guys to how it is for girls because girls are sort of, you know, grabbed away from their families and schools at 14 and taught to be sexy because that's what sells. Go into a room, you know, exuding confidence, you know, whereas guys are just told, yeah, you look quite cool in that. Mm-hmm. I was never told I was good looking or anything. Whereas w- women are just bombarded with, oh, darling, you're the best, you know, yeah. and taught to walk and, you know, taught to be sexy. Whereas guys are just, you know, that's great. Just walk up there, great, back. Yeah, you look very English. That's all I got. And and in terms of, so, I, do you know, I didn't even think that we'd really get into the modeling, but it is really interesting because when I, when, I, when I was young, I, and maybe lots of people thought like this, it's like actually almost like one of the dream scenarios was, walking through Covent Garden and someone picks you out and is like, would you like to, you know, do mm. some male modelling? Look, I never genuinely thought that was a possibility for me. But as someone, you know, looking in from afar at fame or how you become famous or whatever, how does that actually come about? How did it come about for you? Was it something you worked towards getting by making your own portfolio and taking it place? Or did you just get spotted on the street yeah, or something? Yeah, I was, I was working um, as a waitress in a cocktail bar <laughs> um, when I met you. 
Uh, well, I met this agent who just said, you know, have you ever thought about modelling? And I said, well, no. And he said, well, I think you should start. I think you'd be really good. And I said, oh, OK. Um, this was in Greece. Okay. And I said, well, I don't live in Greece. I live in Bristol. <laughs> so was it a, you were there for the summer or something? I was holiday? working as a barman, yeah, well, as, a, as a waiter, yeah. And then um, he said, well, my agency is in Milan. I said, well, I live in Bristol, not, not even London, you know. Did um, you just believe him completely straight away? Because my initial thought would be bollocks. Yeah, well, it was a gay bar. Um, was it he, actually? It was. was. Yeah, it was, yeah. Wow. And um, he was, you know, a good-looking gay guy, and I wasn't really sure. But then I thought, hold on, I mean, I can check him out because he's got a card. Mm-hmm. You know, this is obviously pre-internet. This yeah. is 93. Yeah. Um, so I checked checked him out, and then my cousin, my my mum said, "Well, your cousin is living in Milan, working as a dancer. You could go and stay with her and check it out." So I thought, okay. And then I got a girlfriend who lived in Como, which is near Milan. Yeah. I thought, okay, I'll Beautiful go over. Place. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went over, and we split up after about a week. Um, but I went in to see this agent, Calvin French, and just started working just immediately because there was nobody of my look. In Milan at the time, I was sort of very tall and skinny with, you know, bleach white hair with the roots growing out, yeah. quite sort of cyberpunk, I guess you'd say. And they just had that through in the fashion shows. But then all those guys had gone off to New York or Tokyo, whatever. And Milan was just left with this, well, I would say, good looking model. You know, there was all the sort of the, the type before, which was sort of muscles and square yeah. jaws and, yeah. and, you know, olive olive skin and a bob, that sort of look, the sort of... Um, yeah, that, that look. And they, they were desperate for this new look that had come out on the catwalks and they wanted it for their magazines. And I was just there. So I just worked immediately. Okay. And you're, you then kind of went from modelling. Um, your next gig was at Hollyoaks, right? And how yeah. Did, so was acting an idea in your head uh, before you'd started modelling or was that like a natural link or how, or how did that come about? Well, I'd, I'd always fancied it, but I had a stutter at school. Um, and I just couldn't face it. I hated reading out in class. Um, I was in one school play, a uh, house play, in fact, which was, I had like two lines, um, and I was dreading it the whole time. Um, but, yeah, I had it in the back of my mind because I always liked, you know, doing voices and messing about and joking around, mm-hmm. and I knew that modelling wouldn't last forever. I got to a point where I was 26 and still going up for the uh, modelling jobs for teenagers, really. Mm. The guys my age now look like men and were selling cars and cigarettes, which you could then, and alcohol, you know. Well, I wasn't being put up for those jobs. And they'd say, wow, dude, I got $1,000 for this this job. I'd be like, oh, wow, I got $1,000 for, you know, a Wrigley's print ad, you know. So I wasn't in that same, um, uh, at that same level. So I thought, okay, perhaps acting is the way I did lots of TV commercials, and my modelling agent said, well, that's a lot of ads, 11 in one year. Um, You can clearly act a bit. Do you fancy doing some classes? Mm -hmm. So I said, yeah, I'll give it a go. And before my first class... And you're still in Milan at this point? This is in London now. In London, right. Uh, Before my first class, um, she said, oh, um, we've had a call from Hollyoaks. They've seen your um, Carling ad. I said, that's the kind of guy, the kind of look we want for this new character. Go up and audition. You won't get the job. There's hundreds of you going up. But just go up and just get the feel of what an audition is, you know, and then we'll start your classes. And then she ran back and said, you got the job. That's so mad. You know, and I couldn't believe it. And apparently, I don't remember this, but at the the first audition, when they said, we'd like you to stay behind, um, I was there with Vernon Kay, actually. Us, we, we both went up, and he, he didn't get asked to stay behind. So he was like, what? I'm going home. <laughs> anyway, so I, I was asked to sort of stay behind. Whatever became of Vernon Kay? Eh? Who? who? Who is he? And yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was, it was funny because, um, I apparently, um, said to the producer, 
an exec producer, oh, you don't want to book me. I've got no experience. I've just blagged that. That's just <laughs> quite similar to me. I don't know how to learn lines or act or hit marks or any of that stuff, you know. And they said, well, we, we think you've got potential uh, and we can help you with that. And I said, well, you better. I mean, if you give me the job, you know, where can I learn? Can I go to a, a class? And they said, well, we'll teach you on the job. So I apparently said, well, yeah, but what's the money like? Because I'm earning quite good money. <laughs> I just talked my way out of the whole job. <laughs> Well, um, you, you did nicely, starting with self-deprecation, then going into absolute yeah, brick yeah, exactly. <laughs> in quite yeah, a short yeah. space of conversation. I know. And um, and they gave me the gig, you know. And then, I mean, it was great. It was a great place to start because everyone was kind of, you know, straight from drama school or stage school or modelling in my case. Yeah. Um, and you're all quite young or look younger than you are. So the directors are more like teachers and they're quite tough, you know. Going on to other acting jobs, you think, well, I'm not getting much advice here or right. not much direction, really, in comparison to there, because we they were all kids. They expect you to know it. Whereas... And, and they were comfortable saying, look, cut, that was rubbish. Try this. Act it like this. Do this, you know, and they won't yeah. do that to, you know, casualty I've, stars. I've worked with someone before who's done some directing and absolutely told me that the, the big no-no is, is showing an actor how mm. to do it. Apparently that's the real yeah. no-no, is that right? Yeah, definitely. But we got that a lot yeah. you know, at uh, Hollyoaks, you know. And um, I really benefited just from copying trained actors around me and having a lot of help from directors and producers. Did any of the trained actors around you look down their nose on you yeah. at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't name names, but the first few weeks were really tough because, you know, the girls were saying, oh, this new guy's a model, isn't he? Right. And they were all trained actors, you know. Right. I was the only one who hadn't done any acting. So I got a bit of, um, yeah. Did it feel like bullying, kind of? A little bit, yeah. I mean, not physical, but no. just, you know, a bit bitchy. Yeah. But then after a while, you sort of win them round, you know, with self-deprecation and asking help, asking for help, you know. That's such a key. I think being able to ask for help and be able to say when you don't know what someone's talking about yeah. is something, I'm, something that when I was a kid at school... I could never, ever do that. I would always pretend and hope that no one, like the teacher would never ask me yeah, yeah. a question, right? But as I got older, and I can imagine more in a in a, an acting world or performance world like that, being able to do it must feel so hard, but it, you, if you don't do it, you're going to lose out so quickly. Yeah, I, I'm really intrigued. Stuff, I mean, I've usually got these formatted questions we go on, but you've, you've already opened up into stuff that I find really interesting. You've kind of, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but basically your story that you've told me from, from getting the modelling gig to then going to acting feels to me like you've kind of almost fallen through fallen into it yeah. in this way where it feels like it must have felt to me at that point like almost like you're invincible and everything you went for you were going to get because even so the thing you, even think the thing you say about you know doing 11 adverts in a year yeah unbelievable success right yeah um so i wonder whether in terms of your personality at that point whether you got to a point where you're like i'm just must be bloody brilliant at this there is a point of that. I mean, I think um, I think the first year at Hollyoaks dealing with fame, you know, because suddenly you are recognised and people want to know you and, you know, women who wouldn't be interested are now interested. Yeah. Uh, is it fair to say, because for people who are listening who may be a bit younger and don't know Hollyoaks back then as opposed to now, I look at Hollyoaks then as like the heyday of Hollyoaks. Well, now, yeah. is that just because that's my generation or in terms of ratings and stuff, is that think, the reality? I think the numbers were higher, but also there were only four channels. We didn't really have cable oh. TV, you know. I mean, if you did, it was, you know, American channels with, you know, whatever, odd stuff on, whatever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, certainly, you know, having been back there again uh, and walked around the streets with some of the current cast, they don't get the kind of attention that we did. Mm. Um, 
because it was such a big university show as well, because Andy Peters started T4, you know, and put mm-hmm. Dawson's Creek, Hollyoaks, yeah. and Pop World all together. T4 was the Sunday morning, Channel yeah. 4, kind of all morning show, wasn't it? Yeah, which we, we loved because it doubled our money because we were on 100% repeat fees. Wow. And suddenly we were like, wow, we were, you know, the laughing wow. stock wages wise. Having spoken to other soap actors, wow, you're only on that much. Huh. I won four times that much. Um, <laughs> that's how. That's how. All, that's what you hear. How the footballers talk when they go off to play for England. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They were yeah. like, "What? You're at Spurs. You're only earning that. I'm on 240 grand a week." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, Even happens there. Yeah. So that was, you know, then we suddenly had our money doubled because it was on again twice a week on the omnibus. You know. Um, uh, yeah. So suddenly it was just, you know, something that was easy to watch on a Sunday for that age group, uh, and you go out to a nightclub or you know, to see some comedy or a live band. And people would be sort of chanting your name. you think, I'm not John Barnes. Why is this happening? Yeah. It's really weird. How did you personally oh, like deal a with that? Like a prick. The first few weeks, you're trying to get used to it, you know, um, and uh, you don't really know what it's going to be like. You know, everyone tells you, um, oh, you won't enjoy it. But of course, you know, we all have our heroes. We all like the idea of being given that kind of... Um, affirmation mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. praise mm-hmm. um and most of us who are in the arts have you know suffered with a lack of affection from one or both parents mm-hmm. <laughs> right. so we sort of crave that so you enjoy it you know and you, you you do like being spotted you know and then you you can go up your own arse and and uh and well you uh, said you reacted like a prick and oh can, i did can, yeah can, can you remember i mean you know don't have to don't have to tell naughty stories or anything but like in what ways can you remember where you look back on it and you're like oh I wish I'd dealt with that differently or I, I wish I hadn't been like that yeah I think probably it was you know when I was out and about drinking and stuff you know um, you enjoy the attention too much uh, of the women I guess and then their boyfriends get angry and you end up saying something and you've you know you're used to that situation so you're armed with a line right you know to put put them down and you think that wasn't very nice really you know she didn't yeah. want the thing she was just being flirty right. he felt a bit his nose was out of joint, and you said that nasty thing, and you know, I felt bad. And then you think, also, I'm now walking around Liverpool, recognisable, mm. and I don't think I can remember what he looked like vaguely, mm. or his mates. And I could, I could turn a corner and just get a hammer in the face, you know. Mm. I was at um, Goodison Park once with um, Phil Olivier and Marcus Patrick, who was on the show with me, and uh, we sort of sat down watching Liverpool, and all the Everton fans spotted... Phil, who played Tinhead in, in uh, Brookie, and started you know chanting his name, and then they spotted us and chanting sort of negative you know Southern stuff and, uh, and you anti- can say it don't worry. and anti Hollyoak stuff you know <laughs> or or you won't say it or you I'm not sure what they said but it was it was funny it was in it was in jest <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. you know and I just thought that's that's quite funny there are you know thirty five thousand people call, calling me a dickhead it's quite funny so I I kind of waved but Marcus was sitting to my right and didn't see me waving and started sort of gesticulating fuck off fuck off to 35,000 people oh, right. oh, and I decided to walk out of the stadium on my own afterwards I thought I'd just you know hmm. veer off he Give can deal with space. that on his own <laughs> blimey yeah. yeah so so it's filmed in Liverpool and yeah and of yeah. course you're mentioning Brookside as well was that like almost like a band of brothers the different yeah because so- it was the same building around, for the yeah. interiors you know for the exteriors sorry their exteriors are interiors um, and we had a football team together and we hung out a lot plus I've got Scouse heritage so I was up there every weekend the whole year yeah with cousins and friends and family and stuff whereas a lot of the guys went home to London or wherever um, so I hung out more with the Brookie lot 
at weekends than I did with Hollyoaks a lot. And how long was it? Um, so how long were you? How long were you on Hollyoaks in all? Few, four years, just under four years. Four years, and um, you, like I said in the intro, like you moved from that into um, presenting. But I wonder whether before you left there, whether you'd started getting itchy feet or any feeling of okay, uh, I'm famous now. I want more fame. What is my route? What is my route? What is my exit strategy? What? Yeah. How do I get that? I wasn't really at that point. I mean, there's a funny anecdote. The first time I got recognised was um, I thought I was in it because they they give you this sort of pile of um, autograph uh, cards, yeah. photographs, you right. know, and, and a pen. And mm. the PR department said, "Take a few with you everywhere you go." This is before mobile phones, so no one wants yeah. a picture, you know, and a pen. So of course, being an well, idiot, they probably do. They just couldn't get one. So, yeah, <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't realise that you don't do that, really. That's just what assholes do. So I'm walking around with pictures of myself and a pen in my pocket everywhere. <laughs> and I was in Tesco on Allerton Road in Liverpool, which is where my grandmother was from, you know. And I'm walking down this aisle, and this little old lady spots me and sort of, you know, gives a sort of, you know, really pleased face and points. Yeah. Like, Hello, at that. And she said, oh, sorry, you must get this all the time. I said, oh, yeah, well, yeah. I hadn't. It's my first ever time. So I get my card and pen out. And she goes, can you reach that down for me? <laughs> <laughs> but um, so that was yeah I, I put the card back in my pocket but um, yeah I mean I went through that was four years on uh, in a big university town getting a lot, lot of attention you know yeah still uh, young what were you like 26 you were saying 26 when I started so yeah 26 to 30 but playing 20 you know mm. so um, it was a different kind of vibe going out they all thought I was the same age as them yeah um, and actually I, we interviewed we interviewed Ralph Little and he talked a lot about um how people just think you are whoever you're playing. Yeah. So if you're a bad guy, they think you're a, sh- yeah, you're a yeah. cunt. And if you're playing 20, they think you're 20. So that, yeah. yeah, and I was a likeable character, you know, whereas mates of mine, better actors, were playing the assholes and they were getting, you know, grief. And well, it's Just pretend, you know. <laughs> I know Ralph quite well because he's um, good mates with Matt Littler who played Max in Hollyoaks. So he stayed at our house, my, okay. at my house actually, because I had a house and I rented it out. Went to rooms out, so Ralph stayed with us, and he came out with us a few few times as well when he was doing Royal Family and stuff. But yeah, it's a strange thing to be to be sort of recognised as somebody else. You yeah. know, that's when you know if they just say Finn, you think okay, it's that. But if if they say your name, you think, oh, it must be someone I actually know. Yeah. And during that period, then, um, would you say there was any part of you that felt like fame was a burden, or was it just all? That was like the pinnacle in terms of your enjoyment of being Yeah, not recognized. enough of a burden. I mean, you, you knew you could get into trouble if you wanted to, you know. Um, did, you know. did Hollyoaks give you any advice on that stuff, you guys? You know, young guys about town. I don't not, think they did. Not, take, not putting the, ch- uh, the program into disrepute. No, I never got, I was a bit older than some of the guys, so I didn't ever get any, any um, you know, warning from the bosses. But one or two of the guys did. But... Um, yeah, I mean, you can get into scraps if you want to, but if you're just polite back, you know, because guys, guys want to recognise you and have a story. They don't want to walk away going, oh, he's just a normal bloke. They want to say, really nice bloke, bought me a pint, or what an arsehole, so yeah. up himself, you know. Yeah. So they give you that sort of um, bantery line, you know. I don't even know, know who you are, mate. And, that, and I'll just have a laugh and go, well, I, I don't know who you are, but do you want, do you want a drink, whatever, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas you could get angry and get into a fight, but um, so it's like survival techniques almost. Yeah, isn't it? Kind of... I mean it's it's you know it's first world problems. It was easy and you know the, it was it was a great. I loved the job. It was great money, great bunch of people, and you know suddenly got attention from from women. You know, yeah. I remember I'm good mates with James Corden, massive name drop, but he was on the show at the, at the same time, 
I don't. So I read about that while I was doing research for this. I don't remember him being on High Oaks at all. Who did he play? Yeah, he, played, um, he played Tony's lodger called Wayne, right. a pet rat. He was brilliant. He was so funny. Because um, I remember him in History Boys and Fat uh, Friends. Yeah, a few little things, but I never remembered in yeah. that. And I used to watch Holly Oaks. He was so surprised. good. He was so funny. But I remember um, he was getting some negative press after Gavin and Stacey did so well. And he was single, going out and partying yeah. and stuff. And he got negative pressing. I was at every party. And was this around the time he did Lesbian Vampire, vampire Killers? By before chance? that. But right. he was getting lots of negativity, you know, people saying that he was, you know, um, a womanizer and all this kind of stuff. And, and I said to him, I sort of said, mate, just be careful with that. And he went, fuck off. You've had girls since you were at, well, since you were 13, had a girlfriend every fucking time. I had one girlfriend in my life, James, and she dumped me, all right? Give me a fuck, fuck off. I'm enjoying my time in the sun, all right? Fuck off. I said, that is probably fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. As long as he doesn't then complain at the back end, you know, yeah. for getting in trouble with the tabloids or whatever. No, I remember that, that point. I remember that time of his life a lot more than I remember him in Hollyoaks, funnily mm. enough. Um, okay, and so so you did four years in Hollyoaks, and then, so uh, did you choose to leave Hollyoaks or you got yeah. offered the other job? How Both, did that work? Yeah, well, I I went on, we did a spin-off series, Moving On, Moving Apostrophe okay. On, the first late-night Hollyoaks series. And I yeah. went on... Um, all the shows to promote it and I was offered um, presenting jobs at the BBC and ITV both Saturday morning shows and I went and auditioned for um, the BBC one and they offered me the job just to see what it was like really because I noticed that all my age group were leaving around me mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and I thought well I'm left now with Max and OB who are five years younger than my character mm. you know and I'm now 30 they are actually 22 mm -hmm. so I feel a bit you know stranded I feel like it's time and what the money's how much? Four times as much. Okay. Right. Okay. And it's one day a week rather than six. Ah. In London. Hmm. Okay. Um So you were offered both the BBC Saturday morning kids show and yeah. then SMTV and C D UK, which were, for those who don't remember, the they were the ITV Saturday morning kids shows that went on one after the other. And SMTV had uh, well, they'd both been presented by Ant and Deck with Cat Dealey, right? That's right, yeah. And then you came in. Well, you chose. So you're going to say you chose that over. Well, I BBC. chose that because I when I did, I didn't. They didn't ask me to audition. And when I saw the scripts that they were showing me, they were really funny. Hmm. And I thought, well, I liked. Um, I mean, I'm, I don't watch kids telly, but I liked when I watched bits. You know, watching C CD UK, I'd catch the end of SMTV, and yeah. I liked. Um, the friends, the Chums, friends it was called, yeah. yeah. And I thought they were very funny in the in you know I like Anton Deck and stuff. So they offered me that, and I thought, well, that that's a ready-made format. This other show is new. Yeah. I don't know the other guys in it apart from Sarah Kaywood. I, I knew a bit, so I'll give it a go, you know. And I and I really enjoyed the ten weeks of the one-year contract. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So going into that, basically, you were and I read a few articles on this and BBC website and stuff. You you did it for three months, and it was a really big gig because that for me was when Ant and Deck had kind of really changed around their profile from being PJ and Duncan originally in Biker Grove yeah, and obviously had a hit or two with Let's Get Ready to Rumble and some yeah. other stuff. But they were seen as kind of a bit of a a bit of a joke pairing kind of yeah. thing. But because of things like Chums and Wonky Donkey and stuff they did in SMTV and CD UK, they suddenly became known as actually super, super funny guys and they were then making their move into prime time, really. Yeah, that's right. Um so for you, I imagine that was a really big gig. And when you started, to, because you were about to say, I think that you lost that job after three months. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So A, I guess, how were those three months? How do you feel you did? And how did um, 
And then how did that all come about? Well, it's a huge change, you know. Um, moving to London, I didn't have anywhere to live, so I had to stay in a hotel. Um, and I was, uh, they gave me sort of coaching um, a day and a half a week, I think, and then half a day of rehearsal, then the live show, three hours live all of a sudden. So your first live stuff. That, yeah, and that was, you know, I'd only moved to London five days earlier before the first one, you know, right. and it's a very different skill because as an actor, you, inv you, you know, ignore the cameras and you have eye contact with the person you're speaking to. Um, whereas with that, you've got an earpiece in with someone talking to you the whole way through move the interview on, change this bit, you know, shorten that bit, whatever. Yeah. And you're looking down the lens while talking to someone who's at your right, you know. Cat, yeah. it's so great to be here today. And she's over there, you know. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of acting a version of yourself, which is weird. Yeah. That's how I tried to do it as an actor. Um, but, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. A very new skill to learn. It's always, you know, fun to learn new skills. And, when you got uh, into the, f the initial stuff of them giving you the coaching and, and heading towards that first live show or the first few live shows, mm. was it something you felt you could do? Was it something you felt you were picking up and you, you were feeling so yeah. feel confident? Yeah, I felt within a few weeks, um, I'll feel good about this. The first, I mean, I shat myself the first two or, two or three times, you know. Um, because you would, anyone would, you know, of course. Anton Deck did, you know, Kat did, you know, you, you just do, it's, it's your first few times, oh my God, I'm live on telly. Yeah. Um, but then you get used to it and the format of it, and then they brought Brian Dowling in as well, mm -hmm. and he was newer, he was, yeah. you know, so two Brian, weeks newer than me. So. Brian Dowling had one big, big brother. brother. Yeah, yeah. one and, of the early big brothers. And the best of big brother, when they had that sort of, you know, a, a, like all, a... all the winners on one go. Right, yeah. Yeah. And super funny, charismatic guy, loved working with him. And it helped me that he was there too, because he was going, well, what do we do now? You know, so right. that was good fun. Yeah, that feeling of I'm not the newest anymore yeah. kind of does help you confidence-wise a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a strange thing. That. And fame's a weird thing, isn't it? I, I looked up the word famous, and it just means renowned, really, you know. Mm. Um, and what, what, what was I renowned for? Being on television. That yeah. was all it was, really. Mm -hmm. And celebrity, you, you know, means celebrated for a, a skill or... Mm. Something you think, well, what skill did I have as an actor, as a presenter? Kind mm -hmm. of, I, I guess. Um, and it's a weird thing that we kind of, you know. It feels like fame to me is a perception more than anything. Yeah. It's, so, from my point of view, I perceive whether someone is famous or not. But I'm intrigued to know, as someone who maybe who I can comfortably say has definitely been famous in your time. At what point in level, your life yeah. have you felt famous, or have you felt like a celebrity, or have you felt? Um, any of the things that maybe I perceive that to be, you know? Yeah, well, that was, it was weird because it was 10 weeks, but the audience were different to Hollyoaks, you know. It was, um, Hollyoaks, I guess, is sort of teens and early 20s, predominantly. And then you've got, you know, those shows are sort of kids and teenagers up to 18, maybe. Maybe a few uni students watched it as well. So yeah. different audience recognising me. And suddenly I was walking past schools, you know, not not on... Those, no, no, no. Uh, and get recognised there, you know. Uh, so it was different. Um... But did you, you care? Did you care about that? Did you? Did you? Was there any part of you? I, well, were you pleased to ha have a new audience, or were you like, oh, I wish my audience was slightly older and more? I preferred that audience because kids are kind of honest. You know, yeah, they are. Yeah. They'll say, I don't know who you are, or they'll say, wow, you know, and yeah. they're really nice. You know, and the mums are nice. Kids are the most honest people. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I quite liked it, but you are aware that it's fleeting. You know, have, having had some experience before, this, you know, this is just a brand new thing. You know. One week into this job, I'm doing adverts and, you know, doing endorsements mm -hmm. and they've got stickers out and you can write in and get all this merchandise of me. I think, well, how have they got... That's obviously copied from a picture, a Hollyoaks picture, and they've made a cartoon out of it. Okay, that's weird. 
and can you sign this? Oh, what is that? You know, it's all this merchandise that they've suddenly got. And you know that that could just end tomorrow as it did. And that, so all that, that stuff's interesting because you don't really think about that kind of stuff. But all that presumably is stuff that you is in the small print in your contract that's just like, yeah, you know, yeah, and you you've get signed more, your life away. You get extra cash for, for bits of it. But um, I mean, it, it's a weird thing. I mean, just to make the whole question larger, um, you know, looking at the Caroline Flack thing, hmm. bless her, you know, it's a strange thing, isn't it, that, that we all kind of have an interest in, you know, I mean, there are big famous people in the world that we don't know you know and it's is you know it's all about it's a subjective thing and and, and the papers are selling you know their 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 job these journos is 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 to sell papers so it's supply and demand you know we all kind of elevate um human beings to gods you know mm. and then as soon as they show any human flaws oh no yeah we're outraged and shocked yeah. and t- Get, get them out, you know. Unbelievably judgmental, yeah. Yeah, and suddenly you're just trashed, you know. And we judge people that we don't know for things that we find ways to excuse ourselves doing yeah. as well, which yeah. I find really incredible. Yeah. I know. It, it, and, and, a lot, and a lot of that, I think, is because sometimes we've read it in the news or on, yeah. you know, or seen it on TV or something like that. So we're like, I feel like, oh, I, well, I have to have an opinion on this. Yeah. But of course, and it's I'm, none I'm, of my I'm not business. a gossip. I know you're not a gossip, but we are. Oh, what's happened? Oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, I can't say I haven't gossiped before. No, I, can't, sure. I mean, you know, you yeah. know, sometimes you have to make a conversation and yeah. you find some common ground, but yeah. So it's almost as if we worship and resent celebrities in equal measure. You know, like, I, I love this person, aren't, aren't they great? They did what? Hmm. Oh, I hate them. I, I've never yes, liked them. exactly, yeah. You know, and we all buy into that. Yeah. And we excuse ourselves by saying, yeah, but she loved the attention. Mm. She was always on a beach in a bikini, you yeah. know, with expensive sunglasses and, you know, flaunting her hot boy well, that's, boyfriend. that's and... exactly the argument that Piers Morgan uses on Twitter all the time yeah. for when he bullies celebrities for... Yeah. I saw one this mainly week. Mainly female where, ones. Yeah, mainly female celebrities, pretty much, yeah. But for... Um, you know, so he does that. He does this all the time, where he will put up a picture of a, a female celebrity on a red carpet, and then say, "Oh, and but you talk about how you don't like to be looked at, or you yeah. don't like to be scrutinised in this way." Well, you you're asking for it, in essence. Yes. That's just the most unbelievably old-fashioned no, no contract. And you know, I defy anybody to be told a thousand times a week that you look great and you are great, not to go, "Oh, that's kind of you," and smile. Yeah. And stop for a picture. You yeah. know, you do feel great about yourself. If you go back to um, Caroline Flack, you know, you look at all the responses. You've got that social media thing. Hmm. So that's a positive thing in this in this situation where everyone can say, "Well, you may not know, but we were close friends. I, I took her job, but we were close friends, and I yes. gutted." And this about is about Laura Whitmore. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. And everyone seemed to like her. Yeah. I met her once, and she was lovely. You know. Hmm. But we all have good days and uh, good days and bad days, of hmm. course. Um, you know, so I guess there's a network in that. It's quite instance. an interesting point, and I'm definitely not talking about Laura Whitmore here because listening to her, I should say we're recording this on the, the Tuesday of the after the weekend that um, Caroline Flack committed suicide, and then Laura Whitmore did her her radio show the following day and did an unbelievable yeah. introduction and was clearly really incredibly moving. effective, very moving, and um, clearly great friends. But just about that little topic that you brought in there, I wonder quite a lot in terms of social media, in terms of what you were just talking about, when you see famous people tweeting or Instagramming other famous people saying stuff like, oh, I thought you were great in this. I thought you were great in that. I always think to myself, why haven't you just texted them? Yeah. Because the text yeah. is between you and them. And it's not about yeah. who other who else thinks, yeah. oh, isn't that lovely? You know, that you're I a think, good person. Yeah. Like that. I mean, I'd, I'm the same as you. 
I'm a bit older than you, and I I do think well, that's a bit. You know, why don't you just? It's like when people put on on Facebook, um, yeah. you know, Happy Father's Day to my dad. I love him, and you feel like saying, well, why don't you ring him or well, go and see him? It's not about your dad or yeah. you. It's about who is, sees that. Is you're your dad person. on Facebook? I don't think he is because you haven't tagged him, have you? <laughs> you're just yeah. saying, look, you know, and those of us who've got great dads go, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. I better ring ring my dad. Those who haven't got dads think, oh, I haven't yeah. got a dad. You know. Um. So before we go into kind of where you went on to from there, which was on to casualty, I think was yeah. it's fair to say, would you, well, we'll go on to that. But I just want to say, because I asked this question of all our guests, in terms of where you are now and, you know, overall in terms of your career, would you say you're famous now? Decreasingly so. I still get recognised because the other thing is that casualty has a different age group again yeah. because nobody watches it in their teens because they're all out, mm -hmm. the late teens and 20s, whatever. You watch, It's a family show, so... You watch it with your parents when you're a kid up to sort of 15 or so. Um, and then you watch it again when you are a parent or a grandparent, whatever. So again, it was Charlie's like, still there. Yeah, he is. Yeah, doing really well. <laughs> Charlie's there from when I remember watching Casualty, which was like in the late 80s. Yeah, he's great. I met him because um, I'm from Bristol and they shot it in Bristol for the first 25 years. And I sold him a leather jacket once. Uh, <laughs> and this is great. On my first day, really nervous, going on to a set of a show that I loved and I'd you know, grown up with. And I walked on and I had a scene with him, I think the second scene of the day, so nervous. I've got a scene, I'm playing lines to Charlie. It's, weird, it's surreal walking into that. And I said, oh, by, by the way, we have met before. Um, I saw you, I don't know if you remember, eight, 85 it was, I saw you a leather jacket. <laughs> he said, of course, of course. Of course I remember the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Hey, 85, no, 88 would have been, I think it started in 85, not, not that old. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, so you kind of went straight on to Casualty on the back of that question. Yeah. Would you say that Casualty is from which you're most recognised then? Um, age groups. Um, I've had people come up. And I was at a Kings of Leon gig about 10 years ago and a guy came up and said, all right, mate, was it like to know that you're not famous anymore? <laughs> like that. And I said, well, I'm, I'm doing Casualty. It's got three times the viewers of the show you know me from. Yeah. Are, you, are you on that? Oh, Sorry, mate. Yeah. So he thought I wasn't. He thought, you know, I was yeah. a laughing stock. Whereas, um, I mean, I am. But, um, yeah, so I, I, rec I get recognised by people in their 30s as Finn yeah. and people younger as, you know, the guy from Casualty, yeah. Abs, whatever. Um, so it's different. But, dig I mean, it's getting less and less every, every, every year, which is good. It's handy as an actor because, you know, my agent was saying it's hard sometimes to say, no, no, he's not just those characters. Sure. Um, and there is a bit of resentment, I think, in the industry for, you know, taking the check, doing a few years on a soap. Yeah. You're not a real actor. Well, come and try it. It's relentless, yeah. man. Six, six days a week, seven to seven, learning lines at night. Really hard. But that's in, that's almost resentment within the business, isn't it? Rather than yeah. resentment from the big, big audiences who watch those shows, which, sure. which is, I mean, I, would, I was going to say, which is more important. I think it's more important. I guess actors at some point would say it's not Im not as important as say dare I use the word credibility or sure. or whatever. But I would also say that uh, you know, and I'm thinking of the show extras now actually, which is like where you know you see a lot of that envy between actors yeah. at whatever level. Yeah. Um, so there'd been a lot of there'd be a lot of that involved as well. People you know suggesting I would never do a soap, whatever. Well, that's because you're not getting offered any soap. Sure. That's yeah. the reality. Yeah. My ex-wife is a makeup artist, and she worked with big stars quite a lot doing um, 
junkets for movies. Mm-hmm. And she often, you know, if they ask, she'll talk about her life. And she once said, oh, my husband, as I was at the time, is an actor too, to Donald Sutherland. And he was really interested and was really nice. And he said, look, tell him from me, just take every gig. Don't worry about it. You know, the happier actor wins. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter what, how much you're earning, how famous you are. He said, I've never been nominated, even nominated for, a, for an award, but I've never been out of work. So I've yeah. always said, yeah, I'll do that. And if you get two offers, take the one you want to do. Just keep working and don't worry. And he said, you know, make sure that you're okay. Yeah. Not just your business. Because you're not really... It's a strange thing. You are celebrated, but you don't really have um, a leaving do properly. You don't really have... You don't really sort of celebrate when you get the job. You don't... You know, when you leave a job, that's it, you mm. know. You don't really... Um, you move on so quickly to something else that there's yeah. no time to even think about it, presumably. Yeah, I mean, you might have a leaving do at, at a soap and then that's it. The next day you're gone and... Sorry, there's, there's no money coming in and that's just just it. Um I mean, good advice to get from Donald Sutherland. Yeah, yeah. And it's via, so, your, via your ex-wife, of course. It, it's so true, because if I think about when I was, you know, back-to-back telly jobs for 11 and a half years, and prior to that, I had a pretty successful modelling career, five years, you know, I think I wasn't as happy as when I was out of work, but I was, you know, thinking about other things, like, you know, friendships and my relationship right. and right. exercise and, you know, actually just being happy with my lot, because you're always thinking, oh... Should I be doing that? How have they got that gig? Yeah. You know, Yeah, he's doing better than me. And so that leads me on to a question I always ask as well, which is how do you think fame affected your personal relationships? I think, it, yeah, it, it hurt. Um, certainly, uh, I mean, I wasn't in a relationship when I got the Hollyoaks gig, um, but I had a couple of relationships in the first year, year or two, and that was hard because you're with someone you really like, you know, and you're attracted to, but these other people are being nice to me and they're pretty and mm. it's quite difficult and all, you know, so, so, I mean, it's one of those things <laughs> you shouldn't really complain, mm. but when guys say, oh, it's terrible, that guy was unfaithful to his wife mm. and you think, well, yeah, but look at the people who are offering him that, mm. you know, how many offers do you get? You know, uh, yeah. you know, you're not tested as much and yeah, you are right to say it was wrong, but, it's more difficult when you're away for six months. And you were young, and you were very young as well. Well, I, I mean, I was in, in my twenties, so yeah. I wasn't, you know. Um, I'm, not, I'm not excusing any behaviour. No, I'm just sure, saying, but, sure. but it is um, because, uh, yeah, I think that must be a difficult scenario for anyone. And how um, how did those relationships? I mean, was it as simple as, and unfortunately, those relationships had to end as a result, or were they not meant to be the right relationships anyway? Would yeah. you say in hindsight? Yeah, in, oh, definitely in hindsight, we weren't right for each other. Um, but I was unfaithful a couple of times in relationships, which you know is I'm ashamed of. But it's one of those things. God, it's so hard when you're in that sit- situation, you know, and you're still, you know, your character's still forming and uh, and all of that. But also, you know, it's hard on them. You know, I was dating a girl, lovely girl, who was at university and she was getting so much attention because she was seeing this guy from the, from the telly, you know, and mm. all these rumours, often not true. Right, that you'd been seen so-and-so yeah. place with so-and-so. And she'd say, well, that can't be true because I was with him, you know. Oh, yeah. Are you okay, babe? Do you want to talk about it? No, honestly, I was with him. He wasn't there. Right, right. People like to gossip and, you know, this is pre-internet and stuff. Well, that opens up for me the question about no smoke without fire because even in the press, you're led to believe that everything... 
well, I think a lot of people who read the tabloids will say, well, you know, they all say it's bollocks, but there's no smoke without fire. There must be some morsel of truth in something. Yeah, but... I mean, certainly, I mean, I'd say, I mean, I've, I'm not in the press much, but I, when, uh, when I was, I'd, I'd say probably, you know, three times out of ten it was true, you know. Right. And it, was, it wasn't big stories, you know, but mm. you think, well, that's not true. You know, it doesn't even make sense, you know. Um, but that, you know, that, that's tough on your partner who gets, you know, abuse, uh, in this case at university or, you know, sympathy when, mm. you know, it's, it's not real sympathy. It's mm. just gossipy. But, um, and those people who are making that gossip up or those friends of hers or whatever are really enjoying trying to get involved in that. And the slightly... for a photograph when we were out last yeah. week, you yeah. know, you know, it's, it's, it's a strange thing, which I guess I'd have done at that by age two. It's, it's a strange thing you know, celebrity, and you're not really interested in what someone's like. You're just arming yourself for um, a gossipy sit sit situation in the near future. You know, I want to hear something yeah. that perhaps no one knows. Oh, what's the, what's the storyline with that then? And what's he really like? Yeah. You know. And did you meet your aforementioned wife during Hollyoaks and whilst you were getting some semblance of fame no, as well? it was in between. It was just as I was starting SMTV. Right. Um, but she'd been in the, in the business too, so she knew all, all about that kind of stuff. Um, Did you meet in was, the makeup chair? To her, I must say, I was, I was faithful to her. Because <laughs> she, might, she might listen. <laughs> yeah. Um, Not because she might listen, but in the, I hope she listens. Sure, what I'm saying. sure yeah. Um, but did you meet her in the makeup chair? Did you meet through... Through through friends, really. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... Uh, Going on to the phone hacking stuff, um, you know, that damaged us. Yeah, so you mentioned, just to say, uh, James mentioned to me before we went on air that um, uh, he'd been a victim of the phone hacking stuff mm. as well. So, yeah, tell us a bit about that. Well, it's weird because it was from the first week I got a mobile phone. I was very low, late getting a mobile phone. 98 it was, Christmas. Yeah. And I got one because it was in my contract. I didn't like them. Uh, it's in my contract at SMTV to have, have this mobile phone. Right. Um, and available, I got available at all times. Yeah, and I got hacked, you know, it, as I as I learned. Well, when was that? Probably five years ago. So, you know, 2001, and I found out in about 2015. So 14 years later, I learned yeah. that I've, I've been hacked. And I, So I've only watched a few documentaries and stuff on this, but did you find out about that five years ago because you're literally a name on a list yeah. of all the people, yeah. the hundreds of people that they hacked? Yeah, you right. get an email from, from the agent, oh, I've got an audition. <laughs> and, they, and it's, no, no, it's... Can the you, biggest audition, yeah. Yeah, can you can you go and see, see the police? What? <laughs> uh, yeah, so you're on this long list, you know. Do you know how, how they did it? It's, it's the voicemail. Hacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would ring, they'd have two landlines and mm -hmm. they'd ring your phone at the same time knowing one would go to voicemail. And because we didn't set pins up then, no, they would put in your date of birth, which yeah. is online, or one, two, three, four, and mm -hmm. then listen to your voicemail. So then they would delete them because they knew that everyone else was doing it too, you know, which is how, was it uh, Millie Dowler? Millie Dowler, yeah. Awful. Yeah, um, that's the worst of it You know, all. and her parents thought she must be still alive because she's picking up the messages, you know. So that was just a weird thing. Beyond, because... beyond the pale, that story. It's oh, just unbelievable. Awful. And then, yeah. I mean, that is what, that is in, in essence, I think, what led to the news of the world having to close down? Because yeah. I mean, if it had just been celebrities, yeah. I think they would have just, you know, rode it. Yeah, I but think, the I fact think that right. they found doing that was yeah. just beyond. And the poor old Gaza, you know, um, he's got his um, demons, you know, but he thought he was being. His family had turned against him because he, you know, he'd confide in in his sister or his mother, and mm. they'd be in the paper the next morning, you know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it definitely doesn't help when you're a, you've got an illness already, like yeah, Gaza does, you know, being yeah. an alcoholic and stuff. I mean, this is a tiny e example, but you know, with with me, I <laughs> I left my house and I double locked the door by accident 
with, with my wife still in bed and she couldn't get to work, you know, and she got in massive trouble. Um, and she rang me, you know, 14 times and I didn't get any of the voicemails. We had mm. a huge argument. You didn't ring me. Yes, I did. Wow. Why are you ignoring my bloody calls? I left you all these yeah. voicemails. No, you didn't. Huge argument, you know. And a few times after that happened with little things, you think, well, this is weird. My phone, is my phone broken? Because I honestly, I swear to God, yeah. I haven't got your voicemail, you know. And you'd you'd leave a voicemail on someone else's phone and then um, the press would turn up. I remember ringing, leaving a voicemail for Vernon one day, who was a mate, and saying, look, I'll meet you at this place. You know, mm-hmm. We'll just you know go for a coffee. And suddenly I got there and there's press there. And Vernon's not there and didn't get the voicemail, you know. Weird. That's some. So they're really some really specific examples of how, because we we talked about it with Ralph a little bit, and that episode will have gone out, I think, by the time yours does. So um, the audience will have heard that, and and he talked slightly more vaguely about how. Um, first and foremost, uh, there's you know you've said quite a lot, and I know there's a lot that you can't say because you've signed, you've got a settlement, and you've signed yeah. a NDA, presumably yeah, yeah. Or the equivalent of. But he talked about you know, how it really affected his relationships directly and his friendships directly. Yeah. And you've actually then added to that, given specific examples. So the one about your wife is, of yeah. course, it's. and I said this to Ralph as well, it is like gaslighting. It's yeah. them making you feel like you're going mad yeah. because you're both telling the truth. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's like in any relationship scenario, especially when, you know, it's so you just assume the other person must be lying because you know you're telling the truth yeah. and you both feel like that. Yeah, it's horrible, you know. And, um, I mean, years later, you go, oh, I get it now. You know, I rang my ex-wife and said, look, this is what happened and I'm so sorry. And, you know, she said, well, fine. You know? <laughs> like, but it wasn't like, that's why we split up yeah, that day. Thankfully, it wasn't. You know, yeah. but, but, um, but there will be some situations where that yeah. will have been a huge factor in why people's you know, love lives have ended. You know, yeah. relationships have ended. Well, you know, Gaza didn't speak to his mum and sister for months and months and had you know, spent yeah. £100,000, I think it was, on bugging equipment for his house, thinking, oh, they've just heard me in, in the house. Will those NDAs stop these stories from coming out? coming out do you know what i mean because for I me it's like so, yeah for me it's like i feel like all those little even though these stories feel like morsels do you know what i mean yeah. and they only affect you yeah if in some kind of forum we the public could see the exact so we know the millie dowler story to some yeah. degree right and it's appalling and if you don't know like you know any i've you know i've read i've watched a lot of documentaries on that stuff and read up a lot about it but just appalling but then in terms of these little morsel stories about human lives and human relationships being affected by this thing it would yeah. be great at some point to see them all in one forum is it i mean maybe that is all in the leveson report probably not probably yeah, not so specifically I would, I would imagine that some of it has been left out because of these settlements because they don't want to go to court so you agree not to talk about the situation yeah. and you take a lot of money and you think well you know you're still you know being punished yeah you know, would it be any worse if i let this story out no really in the grand scheme of things, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind having my debts paid off. <laughs> no, no, I, and you know. and you know, I would do exactly. I would accept that money exactly how you did, and then equally, I can see why it's so easy for the lawyers for Mirror Group or MGM or whoever it is to just say, "Well, we'll just throw this money at it, and yeah. that'll be that'll be the end of that." Yeah, um, yeah. So just amazing because um, you know, 
you're the third of my guests on this second series. And we've, like I said, we already talked about this twice. And going into this series, I didn't even think we'd broach that subject. So it's, I mean, who knows how many people I'll talk to and it'll just come up, yeah. which just shows just how wide ranging it is. Um, so the first series of this podcast, uh, as you know, we interviewed uh, siblings or kids of famous people yeah. to ask them how it affected their lives. Yeah. Um, uh, whilst evolving the format for this second series, I also am intrigued to know from you how you think your fame, uh, particularly when it was at its peak, affected your family. Yeah. And, and uh, so maybe your parents or siblings. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned a bit about your ex-wife already as well. but I think it was tough. I mean, it's, it's as a parent, you know, it's a different thing. You know, I wasn't academic. I got expelled from school. I was in trouble with the police, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know, sort of bumming along, doing different jobs. That seems to me... And I know you a bit, but that seems to me very unlike you. Really? Yeah, I've changed a lot. Yeah, I think I, I was, you know, I don't drink much now and uh, or do it any, any of the rest of it. And um, I think I've grown up, yeah, finally grown up a little bit, you know. But um, certainly as a teenager and in my 20s, I was, you know. So pre-modelling, are you saying? Yeah, of? and then during it. I was, really? You know, I was just big on the, you know, just partying the whole time. I, I left modelling having, having earned, you know, a lot of money with debt. You know, I, right. I was renting a flat in London, Milan, and New York at the same time. Right. Crazy. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, that sells into me as well, the idea that in your head at that point, you just assumed it was always going to be like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're kind of, you don't know what else you can do. Um, I had no idea what I was going to do for a living. You know, I quite fancied acting, but I had a stutter, you know. Yeah. And then I got the job, um, and my parents were suddenly able to say to their friends, what, J James has got a job? You know, rather than oh, he, he's um he's a male model. He's um uh, uh, you know, um, but the way you so interesting. The way you tell that is that you think they would mention. So I'm intrigued as to whether because the way you tell it is they might feel a bit of shame about you being a male model. Yeah, oh, definitely. And do you think that's real or is that how you perceived it to be? Yeah, I mean, northern parents. You know, um, I went to public school. They mm -hmm. spent a lot of money on me to go there. You know, sending me there, and I didn't do. I got kicked kicked out, and then all their friends. Oh, you know. Johnny's just finishing yeah. off at Cambridge. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. How's James doing? Yeah, comparison. You know, and I was, you know, just being bailed out for doing something in, you know. May you know, I ask in, what you got kicked out of school for? Well, just for being disobedient. I mean, I had ADHD right. mm -hmm. and um, was just really disobedient. And then I got a bit naughty and violent with one of the teachers. But um, he, he did start it to be. To be so fair. unlike. That's amazing how. Yeah. Do you think there's an element, because I was a bit mischievous at school, but for me it was obviously, you know, in hindsight, it's obviously all about attention-seeking, mm. wanting to make people laugh, wanting to go that far. Was, But you also mentioned at the beginning of this a slight um, uh, lack of affection from one or both parents. Do you yeah. think it's more to do with that side of things that led you to it rather than attention-seeking? Possibly, yeah. I mean, also the ADHD, you know, just constantly being on, on edge. This is in the 70s and 80s when we were just given, you know, angel delight and, and yeah. sweets all the time. And, yeah whatever um and i didn't eat much else so i was constantly sort of bouncing around um and i'd finished my work early you know i was quite bright but i couldn't concentrate so i used to just mess about you know and distract others and yep. get in trouble but yeah going back to the, the parents they're suddenly proud that oh yeah well, he's actually doing all right he's, you know i'm not bailing him out of a jail in tokyo yeah yeah, I'm. Um, yeah, he's he's doing really well. He's but, buying he's buying a house. Would you believe? Acting a more noble profession than modelling to your yeah, parents, very much. That's the strange thing was that I was on a lot less money at Hollyoaks than I had been on, you know, yeah. the previous year. Um, so they're suddenly proud. Um, but my my brother, bless him, struggled because I'm the oldest of three. He's the middle one, and okay. my sister um, is just great at everything. She went to Oxford. She got a 
scholarship to boarding school and then she got the maths prize for the west of england and then she got her scholarship to oxford to do physics you know and it's just really bright and it's a lovely person you know no flaws yeah um and what, i'm on what a bitch i know yeah i know <laughs> i'm jealous of her happily married lovely daughter yeah um yeah uh, and he's in the, in the in the middle left in bristol so 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 she's gone off to university and then you know in, into a great job um and married with a kid and all that and i'm on the telly doing well mm. and you know he's in bristol working as an estate agent with all everyone saying oh aren't you um right aren't isn't he your so you know his famous line people say aren't you james Redman's brother he said no no he's he's um he's my, he's brother. my brother yeah and rightly yeah. so and he's a bit of a dick yeah actually <laughs> <laughs> and rightly so that sounds like quite a common one so but no um it doesn't I mean, any any envy, any any bitterness in there, and feel free not to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I've I've had my struggles with with my brother. You know, um, hopefully we're through all that now. But from time to time, he does does remind me that I was a bit of an asshole. You yeah. know, I mean, I, as an older brother, I guess we we all are pretty much to younger brothers. Only two years younger. We're both quite physical, sporty guys, so lots of competition. But yeah, I didn't certainly didn't try to hurt him you know, by mm. using my fame or anything. But I guess when we're out, you know, he's suddenly in the background and you know, it's not really about having a drink with his brother. It's about sort of, you know, having to sort of wait around while he does that over there and talks to her and then coming back and all this attention and I don't really want the attention myself and all right. that. So, yeah, that's that must have been hard for him. It's an interesting dynamic because I only ha I had a tiny... I've talked about this before in the, in the first series, but I had a tiny taste of that because my brother was in a band in the late... 90s who had they were on top of the pops once and they weren't after that they they weren't successful but um it was weird at the time for me you know they i was in sick form and the track would come on in the common room and people would suddenly show me a bit more interest yeah. on the basis of him yeah and and stuff and you know i was too young to even understand yeah how what that was like and how it was and and, and i've said it before but the main thing i remember is you know my family friend the friends of my mum for instance very much just kind of mollycoddling me at the time and kind of making me try and f make trying to make me feel special I think yeah, yeah yeah and I was I think just about old enough to understand that that was happening for a reason yeah but not quite a, kind of being able to get my head around it so I do think that's a really important question to ask I think fame is obviously really interesting but how fame affects those around it is is where we started with this so I, I definitely wanted to ask about that um I wonder uh we're going to do a, 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 bit, a bit of quick fire, so try yeah. and think as quickly as you can, um, just to get some of the more um, some of the more famey bits out. What's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you through being famous? Oh, um, I'll have to think about that one. I think probably quite a few of them. They might be in, in my stand-up set. Some of them. I mean, that first thing in the Tesco was quite quite funny. Yes, that is a great story. I mean, you get you get mistaken for better celebrities. That's that's always funny when they when you, when you say who you really are and you sort of see in their eyes, oh, disappointment. Right, and who do people think you might be? Oh, uh, Damon Albarn. Oh yes, you've got a very Damon y so look. I, get, yeah. I used to get that a lot. You know, people yeah. used to go crazy and you know get all sort of shaky and blushy. Damon. And, oh my god. Oh my god. Damon was one of the, you know known as one of the sexiest men in. Yeah, in the world. I mean, you know, it's Frankly, great, James. great to be compared to him. But then when you say, "Oh no, 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 I'm just an actor on a soap," not even one of the main actors, you know, <laughs> I'm not not in it this week. They all fuck off. Go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting. Yeah, and then the the story you said earlier about Tesco is hilarious. Okay, um, quickly, what's the best thing about being famous? And then straight after, what's the worst thing about it? The best thing, I guess, is feeling good about yourself, albeit fleetingly. Yeah. So, so is that so? That's through the affirmation of yeah. recognition and 
people thinking you're good at what you do. Well, yeah, I mean, are there any other jobs where you get that much praise? There really aren't. After every take, great, James, well done. You know, and in stand-up, you know, you, you get a laugh yeah. every 10 seconds if you're doing it right, you know, yeah. and all that. And you get people asking for photographs, telling you that you're good, your, your agent loves you, all this stuff. So you do feel... Interestingly, oh, so I'd say, because I'm going to go on to your stand-ups, because you moved on to stand-up um, while still doing acting, but you moved yeah. on a few years ago. Um, stand-up, I'd say, gives the most immediate affirmation of anything. Yeah, of any art um, But I, I, it had never crossed my mind before that you could get a buzz from doing act you know while acting the director immediately saying how good it was because for me i think i'd be so i mean this might be because i am the world's worst actor but for me i'd immediately be doubting that the directors means what they're saying yeah and often they don't they they just they want to get through it and they want to give you praise so you're better next time they've learned you know who needs a hug who needs a bit of a bollocking you know yeah. and all that uh and on a tv set you don't get much feedback even in the comedic scene because everyone's keeping quiet you know doing their job not messing up the, the, the take yeah. so you finish a you know a funny scene and then silence great got that moving on well done james right next one yeah you know but you do get praise you know and you don't get that much in any other jobs do you no and you know um with with um stand up you think about music i mean you could say about damon you know if he's playing his music you know we recognize the opening bars we 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 uh, um cheer yeah. and we might sing along mm -hmm. at the end he gets a some more applause, you know. Mm -hmm. So he's got two lots of applause in four minutes, you know. Whereas as a stand-up, you get a laugh every ten seconds. Yeah, hopefully. Or yeah, or or you're not doing it right, or yeah. you've got a massive laugh after thirty seconds, yeah. you know. But equally, when you go and see even the bands you love, if they do a new one, you're like, oh, good. Oh, God, no one wants to hear anyone. And the worst thing about being famous, the worst thing um, is being recognised, I guess, when you don't want to be, and right. often reminded that you're not famous anymore, or that's a, you know, it's a I guess you've heard this before, but actors hate being asked what they're up to now because often you go, oh, well, I've just finished this thing and I'm up for that one and um, hopefully that one and yeah. and um, I'm doing fuck all. I'm, I'm fucking broke. Do you feel like, um, <laughs> do you feel like, so that, that comment of, uh, you know, you're not famous anymore, you're not as famous as you were or whatever, do you feel an intense, um, I don't know if anxiety is not the right word, but a, a, a desire, a need to try and get back to that level. No, no. I mean, I I love working. I genuinely love acting and I enjoyed presenting. I haven't been given the opportunity to do it since, but um, I love stand-up um, and I like being comfortable financially. I don't need lots of money. I would sign a contract today, you know, to be on, you know, 30 grand a year for the rest of my life, but happy mm. rather than, you know, 200, yeah. whatever. And so starting stand-up, wasn't uh, it was something you felt a desire to do as an art form not in the kind of long-term hope of then becoming yeah, I mean, famous again through that necessarily or great question yeah because i mean i was in therapy after my divorce um and uh, you know some things that were suggested were learn a new skill get out about and meet people don't stay in the house talk about your problems mm -hmm. uh and i thought well those are all covered by stand-up yeah and uh, I worked with Boothby Graffer, who's a brilliant stand-up comedian. Um, it's massive in the 80s and 90s. And I worked with him on my last three months of, of casualty. And he said, come and do a course, come and learn, whatever. Was he on casualty as an actor then? Yeah, oh, okay, yeah he played my mum's boyfriend. And um, he gave me lots, lots of advice. And then he said, you know, um, why don't you do a course? There's a great course with a guy called Logan Murray. Mm -hmm. um, and I went off and did that course. And then he kept ringing me. Boothby saying, okay, so when are you gigging then? 
I said, well, I'm not sure if I'm actually going to do a gig. Well, presumably at the end of your course, you had to do a, 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 a gig. Yeah, a like five a graduate minute showcase, graduate showcase in front yeah. of each other and, and your friends, which yeah. was fantastic. Always the best gig you've ever had. Yeah, because yeah. I did a course back in the day as well. Yeah. The best gig I've ever had, for sure. Beautiful. Yeah. Life-affirming. But then, yeah, he then said, well, good. Well, I booked one in at the 100 Club on Oxford Street. <laughs> You're on, on the bill with Omar Jalili, <laughs> Simon Munnery, and Kevin, El- Kevin Eldon. I thought, yeah. okay, that's... Um, I believe what it's he's saying there is bill. good fucking luck. Yeah, and of course I bombed. You know, I, I did okay the first minute or so. Yeah, and then I bombed with the other the other nine. But um, I did come off going, oh, well, can I go back on and try it again? And I can't because they've already heard the jokes. But I, I know what I'm gonna, how I'm going to do it now. Yeah. And he said, well, you were shit, but the good news is you you know that and you want to go back on. Yeah, that's really good. So yeah. you'll enjoy it, you know. And yeah. I think that has that has helped me because. I'm not that ambitious with this, you know. I just enjoy it, and if I get anywhere, great, you know. And I do get paid quite nice money, and I do do some nice gigs, and and um, you're more powerful as a stand-up because, as you know, you can apply for gigs, and you know that you'll probably work three nights a week, you know, and that covers your bills, yeah, you know, yeah, and you'll probably enjoy it, yeah. and you'll get better the more you do. Whereas as an actor, you wait and wait, and may not get any work. Well, and the other thing with stand-up is. Um... I, I still think this is true. I was about to go against what I was going to say, but you can be a stand-up at any age. And you're yeah. not, you don't have to play a role. You know, you don't mm. have to fit into someone's audition for anything. And you can dip back into it. You know, I yeah. mean, as as an actor, if you take a year off, you, know, you go back in. Shit, I can't learn lines anymore. Right. And I, you know, I'm really wooden. I can't really, you know, more wooden than I was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whereas, you know... Such self-deprecation, James. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, suit your good looks, I'm afraid. Yeah, thanks, it really thanks, doesn't. Thanks, babe. But um, there's a great stand-up called Alan Francis. Do you know Alan? By name, I don't think I've seen yeah, him. Yeah, he's, he's great. And he was at um, uni with Steve Coogan, so he does a bit of Partridge stuff. And he's great. And I remember he said something nice to me once. He said, look, you know, um, we're in a great gig here. We're so lucky, you know, being a stand-up and an actor. Don't think that it's a struggle because it's... It's not like working for a, for a living. No. And you can just go away and do a play for it for a year and then come back in and do a, do a gig. Yeah. And after a few gigs, you know, you'd be back up to speed. You know, you might die the first two or three times, but so is that guy who's been doing it the whole time. No, that's right. And you've actually, over the last few years, you've dropped back into acting with Coronation Street and some other stuff. And, Emmerdale, and yeah. And some Hollyoaks nightsy type stuff. Yeah, I did a full Monty tour, which was fantastic. Oh, wow. My first theatre gig, nine months. Yeah, 240 shows. You should have told me I left that off your intro. I didn't know. Oh, really? Yeah, that was great fun. Thir- 31 weeks it was, a week in Of getting city. naked every night? Yeah, all around the country. It was that's great. you in the gym every day. <laughs> it, was br- it was brilliant, you know, because, um, well, that's another story, but uh, well, I can tell both, but um, I got the gig, but I didn't have to strip in the, in the audition, right? Um, they just liked how I played the part. Um, and my part was uh, the gay character with the big dick. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we go to... I mean, a hundred jokes in my head now. I'm just letting you fly here. Just keep going, James. So I, I turn up for the press shoot, and we're all naked apart from a thong, and the producer, bless him, <laughs> is sort of looking at me and thinking, oh, shit. <laughs> and he was like, great to, great to have you here, love. Great to have you. Lovely audition. Um, great to have you here. Um that's not your fault, though. That's the producer's fault, surely. Well, well I, I, he just presumed I must have a six-pack. So he said, well, what we're thinking was um, was um, personal training. 
Right. Have you ever given? Have you ever well, hold on. When you gym? hold on, James. When you looked me up and down during that bit where, where you're saying the producer's like, "Oh dear," it wasn't about your six pack. I was thinking that he had an issue. Well, it's both. Right. It's I both. see. So, but th- he went. So they on, must have known they were going to give you a prosthetic. Well, he went <laughs> on. He went on on to say, but we've got you know every person who's played this part has had this twelve inch prosthetic to right. wear. So at the end of the show, you know, we're all going naked, and the other guys are going shit, shit, quick, 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 knowing it's like a quick flash and the curtain comes down. You know? Yeah. I'm going, fucking hold it, look at that. Hold the curtain up. <laughs> fucking look at the state of it. You know, every opportunity. And it fell off one one night as well. It's hilarious. That would, to me, if I was watching that day, that would add to it. I, that's what right. I want to see. I want to see a, a, a cock that falls off yeah. every possible time. Um, we talked a bit with um, with Ralph, actually, about, uh, he talked about having been caught in some tabloid scandals earlier on in his career. Did that yeah. ever happen to you? I mean, obviously, we talked about phone hacking stuff, but anything where a, a story has been sold on you or anything like that, because that's quite a big part. No, of... not to the extent that he had. I mean, I had, you know, stories about um, sleeping with somebody that I was working with, mm-hmm. uh, which wasn't true. You know, okay. um, one that was very funny was I was doing CD UK and um, I, I, no, I was doing SMTV at the time, uh, both. And um, Hearsay were on. Yeah. And in the sketch, I had to be flirty with Mylene Class. Lovely. Next day, all over the press, the press that we were clearly dating. Wow. You know, and friends close to the stars say they're madly in love. Right. You know. Friends uh, close to the stars means we've made this up, does yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah, I've always assumed that. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd, I'd met her five minutes before, done the sketch. We've all got idiot boards with the reading. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not even looking at her while I'm doing this. It just, just looks looks like I am, yeah. you know. I mean, of course, beautiful person. You know, yeah, woman, of course, yeah. And um, I would have dated her. Yeah. But, but slow I, news day by the sound of it. Yeah, but, but I wasn't, you know. And of course... They ring her agent for, and a, you're worried that that you you're worried that she thinks that you've suggested exactly. That. So right. they, they you know, the, the press ring her agent for a comment, and clever agent says, um, "I can't reveal too much, but her single's out on Monday." Right. You know, whereas my agent says, "I don't think so." Well, that's right now all over Twitter all the time is Noel Gallagher tweeting. Um, this story you've read about me and you know I'm paraphrasing very much but the story you've read about me and you know who is absolutely not true but I can tell you I know he's got a single out right now yeah. and it's called Once exactly. and that's about the amount of times you should listen to it Yeah, yeah, brilliant. which is Noel being classically clever about his brother but um, I think it's more with Liam Gallagher I think it's more that he just cannot stop himself from you know just spouting shit all the time about his brother sometimes it's quite funny isn't it they're both funny in different ways yeah. but um, it's one. okay um, and uh, I wonder if you could give some pithy advice, like just maybe you know a paragraph of advice to someone young who tells people they want to be famous, and specifically the word famous rather than yeah. successful. Um, I think we all, well, most of us, I would say, like the idea of trying fame out, um, and it can be great, um, but I think you've got to get your head right and remember that you know you are just an actor or just a musician, just a um, comedian and it's not really a big deal you know you're not saving lives or changing policies or you know um, affecting the world no you're not um, is fame real I know it's a weird question but is fame a real thing it's not tangible is it? it it's kind of you know I mean I defend it because you think well yeah I think you know Bob Marley is very important actually you know I still listen to his music yeah. and you know, as a musician though yeah um, you know as as an actor, I, I, I guess, you know, in film you're always around. It lasts forever, doesn't it? But in TV, it's gone. You know, there yeah. aren't any DVDs of Hollyoaks, you know, or Casualty. Um, well, 
It's a shame if you're still on that 100% repeat rate. <laughs> yeah, that would be lovely. Every time I put it in my my DVD player. Hold on, how are we talking about DVDs? I don't think people even watch no, DVDs anymore. I know, I know. It's a shame, isn't it? Um, yeah, so it's a difficult one. What what advice would you give? I mean, what advice would I, would I give my younger self? Yeah. Just, you know, keep your head screwed on, you know. I think it helped me being a bit older, um, starting at 26, um, yeah, and already having a lot of life experience. Yeah, bad and good. Yeah, keep. Okay, I think keep your friends and family close, and uh, yeah, work on yourself. Work, you know, because it's just part of your life. You know, your career, whatever you do, is part of your life. You know, you, you should be exercising, doing something creative as well. If you're not in a creative job, mm. you should have a relationship. You should have close friends that you talk to a lot. You know. Mm. Um, and if you don't, if you just concentrate on one thing, I mean, you know, the world is littered with huge stars with, you know, failed relationships and kids who don't see them. Yeah. And and amazingly, well, not amazingly, because we're all, you know, different and capable of anything. But, you know, people of a much older age than us yeah. making the kind of mistakes that you've talked about making when yeah. you were 17, 18, 19. Yeah. And some people, still... some people just learn better or quicker than other people i guess yeah and no one wants to be tea total you know and uh chanting every day and all that but, but they get into that because they've had a problem with alcohol mm. or, or drugs or and that comes from not being happy with themselves and letting the other parts of their lives yeah. drift but again ironically and it comes full circle is people who are not happy with themselves and need that affirmation are more likely to get into those industries yeah. where they they need to be seen by other people so then yeah. we see it and feel a part of their lives. Yeah. And then, yeah, just it's like it does feel like a vicious circle. Final question. Mm. Um, knowing all that it entails and with the benefit of hindsight, James Redmond, yeah. would you take back the fame you had if you had the chance? No, I wouldn't. Um, but I got through it and I didn't have it at a huge level. And I didn't have, didn't have huge problems. I mean, I had some difficult times. But no, I think, you know, like my brother, um, he said a great thing to me a while back. You know, after I had a bit of a breakdown, I, I got divorced, I lost my job, mm. I was in a bit of a mess, and I was really down, you know. And I, had a, I guess I had a, a sort of minor breakdown. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of went travelling and came back and started doing stand-up. And um, I was home in Bristol for one weekend, and I hung out with, with my brother. And he said, um, God, you're a lot more boring than you used to be. Um, you're not, you know, the life and soul, you're not going and chatting to those going and chatting chatting to those girls there you know you're not the one making friends with the hot girls and finding out where the party is mm. you're not you know cracking gags and being a bit nasty at times because you're too too drunk to someone but you're much nicer yeah you're a much nicer person now yeah you know because I've been hurt yeah and I, I realized a few things about, about myself I guess so in hindsight you benefited from going through those terrible times yeah Definitely. And yeah. I think, you know... It's a good lesson for anyone, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, I was lucky to do so, and some people aren't, you know, and... Um, fuck, we're so harsh, aren't we, on some some celebs, you know, especially if they're female and pretty. Of course. You know. It's awful. Isn't, isn't she beautiful? She's great, and she's really funny and charismatic. Great talent. Mm. Oh, she knows it. I fucking hate her. She mm. should fucking die. Yeah, you know? and, then, and then, you know, in the Daily Mail sidebar, you know, such and such looking looking upset because of or yeah. looking you know slightly bigger or i don't know yeah. the words Shock the words horror. they use she's human too i know we knew it's... it all along bitch it's like hold on a minute yeah. she didn't say she was a god it's appalling um yeah. james thank you so much for coming on Pleasure. it's been a real good insight um and thank you for being so honest about 
you know, the stuff about that that isn't easy to talk about, I'm sure, in terms of it helps, lo- it's losing your job and and, yeah. um, and feeling, you know, it feels to me like a, a really good, um, you know, narrative arc, dare I say, in terms of your life and things are gone. And, and, it, and who's to say, as far as I'm concerned, that you won't go back to being really, really, like, well known on TV and stuff yeah, again because you're still getting those jobs and you're still doing still that got stuff. An agent. Yeah, but the main and maybe thing you'd is... be able to deal with it a bit. I mean, you've dealt with it all pretty well, but you know, you'd yeah. be very able to deal with that if it came around. I mean, the main thing is I'm happy. You know, yeah. I'm happier now than I ever was. Yeah, um, and I'm financially stable, so you know, I've I'm okay. You know? Yeah, the dream. That's it. The dream. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug before we go? Tell well, tell really. the audience about what you're up to. I did a show doing. that's out, I think, in April. Uh, Eve Miles from Torchwood. Um, and Ki- uh, what's the other show that she did? Keeping Faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, her new crime drama, which is a BBC studio show. It's going to be on Alibi TV. Okay. I've got a small part in that. Um, but otherwise, it's just stand-up, really. Um, do you have a website? I don't, you know. I should do, shouldn't I? You should probably do that so people that. can know where you're going to you're so be. I'm so old-fashioned with that, yeah. But who knows? They might just just go to your comedy clubs. You'll see James one night. Twitter, James underscore Redmond underscore one. And I'm on Instagram too. I usually tweet about gigs and stuff. Perfect. And- well, yeah. that's where to check out where James is going to be. Um, guys, please do press the subscribe button uh, on Almost Famous. It helps us to be uh, heard by more people. And find us on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. James, thank you again so much. And guys, thanks for listening. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.